connection, communication, and worship. And we're going to be looking, uh, Lord willing, by the grace of God, <laughs> at 20 verses today. And uh, so put your listening ears on, And uh, but I want to speak quickly this morning, but I also want us to see the context of Scripture and so that's the plan. We're going to read just the first five verses as we get into Scripture here this morning. But uh, God gives us a plan for how we communicate one another as we worship together. And it's important that we understand what God's Word teaches. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look at verse number 1. Let's quickly read down to verse number 5. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret, that the church may receive edifying. Father, once again, we thank you for the day. Thank you for this morning. Now, Holy Spirit of God, once again this morning, I ask you to please to cleanse me Purify my heart once again this morning. God, I want to be a clean vessel. God, purge me of any motives, any fleshly desires this morning. God, I want to simply teach the truth of Scripture. I want to follow Scripture. I want to follow you. And God, I pray that you would lead my heart. Lead, I pray, through Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Communication is vital in a church. If what, is not, uh, if what is spoken is not understood, speaking of a language, it cannot be beneficial. Years ago, I had a man who joined my bus ministry or my bus route in Chicago when I was in seminary. He was actually from our home church, and uh, he knew my wife. He uh, went in the same, was in the same youth department and such as my wife, came to Bible college. He was his first week with me, and he said, I, wanted, I want to join your bus route. And so I said, okay, let's go. And so the area of Chicago that I worked uh, or brought families from uh, to church was close to Midway Airport, South Chicago. And uh, it's a very Spanish area, uh, a lot of different ethnicities, but a lot of Spanish-speaking people. Some could speak English, some could not. And so we are uh, riding up and uh, talking. I'm telling them a little bit about the ministry there and about all the things that we do and just a schedule and such. And as we talked, and he mentioned that he spoke Spanish. I thought, that's wonderful. We have a lot of Spanish-speaking people here in Chicago. That would be a great, great thing. And so, we began the day. We visited some families, 
encouraged them to come to church and uh, told, reminded them once again of the time that we'll be by with the bus to, pick, uh, to collect them and to bring them to Sunday school. And as we then transitioned into soul winning, we started down a street that, we hadn't, that I hadn't gone soul winning down for uh, some time. And as we were going down this street, sure enough, like the second or third home, there was a man that came to the door that spoke just Spanish. Now, I knew just a few phrases. I'd forgotten them. I knew we would say, uh, uh, talk about La, uh, uh, La Iglesia, I believe that's correct, uh, for the church. And we say El Autobus. Uh, and I forget the words that we use, but just a few. It's just a simple thing stating, really, I'm from the church and we have a bus. Would you join us? And that's basically all I knew in Spanish, just to say that. And sometimes they would look and they would shake their heads. Sometimes they would look and then I would send someone who could speak Spanish uh, by their door and to talk with them. And so I tried to fumble my way for just a moment. And then all of a sudden it reminded me, wait a minute, Jared, this new worker that wants to join my route said he could speak Spanish. And so I said, Jared, take over. And he stepped up. And here's what he said. He says, you owe, neato, Jesus owe, N-O, heart owe, to get salvation owe, so you can go to heaven owe. <laughs> Everything just ended with owe on the end of it. And I looked at him, and I wanted in all of my, in all of my being just to simply start rolling on the foot pavement right there, laughing hysterically. I was suppressing my laughter, and that man looking looked at Jared like he had about four eyes growing out the side of his head. Finally, with a confused look, stepped back inside of his home, closed the door, <laughs> and I said, Jared, you don't know Spanish. We're going to leave that to someone else. And that wasn't a good interpretation. <laughs> that wasn't a good way to communicate Sometimes in Scripture, God teaches us that we need to be able to communicate well. That's an amusing story, and I will remember that to my grave, I think. I enjoy that, and every time I see him, I remind him of that very thing. Uh, so he's a good-hearted man, uh, but he doesn't know Spanish. But, you know, it's important that we are able to communicate. It's, it's important that we're able to understand one another. Uh, and that's a vital, vital part of a church. This morning, I want us to break down these 20 verses in these three things. First of all, in verses number 1 through 6, we're going to look at the proper place of communication and content. Secondly, we're going to look at illustrating futile communication in verses number 7 through 13. And lastly, we're going to look at choosing to communicate well in verses number 14 through twenty. Let's start right away with the first one here this morning. Again, we're going to talk quickly, and so put on your speed listening ears this morning. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 1. Follow after charity. That word follow there really means to chase. God says chase after charity. Remember what charity is. We just spoke on it in chapter 13. It is love in action. And we can look through that list in verses number 4 through uh, 7 uh, on teaching the characteristics of charity. 
But charity is so kind and so beneficial and so helpful and so understanding. It is truly an agape type of love that Jesus demonstrated so powerfully in Scripture. And God and Paul reminds us to chase, to follow, to desire to have that charity in our life. It's just something that we've got to choose and we've got to decide to do sometimes on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis, sometimes on a momentary basis. Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves, I need to love like God loves. I need to choose to decide to love like the Lord loves and over and over and over again. And it is something that is a difficult thing because it goes against our flesh. But Paul said, follow after that charity. Follow after that love and action. Find ways to put that love, that agape love, into action. How important it is that we learn that, we learn that uh, uh, spiritual characteristic of the, we, uh, of the Spirit of God. It is important that as we mature as Christians, that we learn to follow after charity. Notice what he says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with desiring a spiritual talent, and we've gone through those in previous chapters. I'm not going to rehash that for sake of time. You can go back and you can listen to those messages. There's nothing wrong with desiring a spiritual gift, but notice what Paul reminds us, reminds these Corinthians of. He says, but rather that ye may prophesy. He said, if you're going to want a spiritual gift, he says, desire the one in which God would use to communicate further to the church. And what is that? The desire to edify through prophecy. Now remember, this prophecy is in a characteristic or in the spiritual gift, speaking of communicating the messages of God in order to fulfill the canon of Scripture, to complete the Scripture. That's the gift of prophecy that Paul is speaking of. He says, if you want to desire to prophecy, he says, or desire, give desire to prophecy so you can have a part in fulfilling the canon of scripture and the communication thereof of the canon in scripture but if we were to look and try to apply this in application we must be very very careful now the principles here do apply but that part of prophecy the main context here is in the fulfilling of the canon of scripture So if we were to say prophecy or to preach the word of God, we would have to carefully define it if we are going to try to make application in our setting here. And that is communicating the word of God, the message of God, from the complete canon of Scripture. We're not fulfilling the complete canon of Scripture. We're communicating the message of God from the completed canon of Scripture. And so if we want to apply this principle, we need to make that distinction. Don't mix the two. And there are some that do. Say that we need to prophesy. Why? Because the Word of God isn't complete. That is wrong. That that is heresy. That is not biblical. God has completed His Word. So to prophesy, to complete Scripture... That is done. That has been completed. 
However, if we are going to say to preach or to use this illustration as preaching, then we would have to understand that it comes from the completed word of God. Does that make sense here this morning? Okay, so that's a biblical principle that we can apply what Paul is speaking of here in a practical term, but we need to understand the main context, and I want you to understand the main context here this morning. And so, the Bible speaks of preaching or of prophesying again. He says that's the gift that one, one, if one is going to desire a gift, to desire. Notice what the Bible says in verse number two. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh unto men, but unto God. Or certainly speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. So here is an illustration Paul gives of one that is coming into a church that speaks one language and begins to speak in another language that one does not understand. For example, what would happen if I were to come in this morning and begin just to speak in Japanese? First of all, you'd be impressed that I knew Japanese, and so would I. (laughs) But it wouldn't help you, would it? Because you don't know Japanese. And that's what Paul is speaking of here. He says if one comes in and begins speaking a language that no one understands, that individual might understand it, but it's not going to help anyone but their communication with God because God speaks every language. God's not bound by English. He's not bound by Japanese. He's not bound by Aramaic. He's not bound to Hebrew or Greek or Latin or any other language in which you want to put out this morning. He's not bound by any because he can speak everyone and does so fluently without and with complete perfection. However, in a local church setting, if one speaks a language that no one else understands, it doesn't benefit the church. It doesn't help the church. Paul says it, he could be even speaking on the deep mysteries of Scripture. He can be even speaking on deep doctrinal truths and expounding them in a very eloquent manner, even in, his, even in that language. But if no one understands it, what does it do? It does nothing but build one's self up instead of building the church up. It doesn't help anyone. And the purpose of communication in a church is to help and to build. We'll see this in just a moment. Look at verse number three. But he that prophesieth, or prophesieth, speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So what happens when someone speaks in the own language that everyone speaks at the church? We speak English. And so what do we speak in? We speak English here. Why? Because that's the language in which we have here in, uh, in connection or in common here. And when one speaks in that own language, what happens? The Bible says edification happens. That word edification speaks of building up. It strengthens. If I were to speak in Japanese this morning, it's not going to build you. It's not going to help you. You're just going to be confused and wondering what is going on. It's not going to equip or help you understand Scripture. And that is one of the purposes that God gave for prophesying, yea, to this church in Corinth, was to build that church, was to build God's people. 
The Bible says that the purpose to prophesy or preaching, again, defining the distinction there between the main context and a practical application that we can apply to our church setting, it builds spiritual character and encourages spiritual growth. And that's what preaching does. It challenges us. It exhorts us. It puts a desire in us uh, to want to grow and to be closer to the Lord. Uh, it's encouraging when you listen to the Word of God and you come away saying, wow, I want that. I want to have that part of my life. I want to have the love of God like God speaks of. I want to be able to win people to Christ and encourage people to come to know the truth. And it encourages us and challenges us and it builds us and it encourages us to grow forward in spiritual growth. That's one of the main, that's one of the vital importance uh, parts of coming to churches to hear the preaching of the word of God so we can hear the truth and be encouraged to grow and to grow forward. Notice what Paul says, exhortation. Exhortation, this is a very encouraging word. It really means calling to someone's side for aid. It's calling and saying, look, there are people who need help. You know, I've said this before and I'll say it again. Church is not a one-man show. It's not a one-man thing. It is a family believers coming together and saying, there's a brother that's hurting, there's a sister that's struggling. How can I aid? How can I help? It's not isolating and going different directions, but rather it's coming together saying, how can I aid? How can I serve? Paul says, and comfort. I love that word. It literally means consoling a person with a degree of tenderness. We need that in the church today. Comfort one another. To be tender with one another. To truly to have some moments in which we're thinking beyond ourselves and thinking to comfort and to help others. A tenderness. A loving touch. In our life, we need each and every one of these benefits in the ministry of communicating God's truth. This is productive and fertile truth. This is the kind of communication that builds a church, that brings forth a growth, that brings and spurs moments of grace in one's heart and life. In verse number 4, notice how Paul continues. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. So again, going back to the illustration that Paul gave again in verse number 2, but he speaks of that again of that same time of where one is speaking in an unknown tongue and speaking in a language which no one knows. What is he doing? He's just showing his intellect showing his abilities off and that's what i would be doing if i simply came up here and just spoke japanese all morning you would be impressed you would be in awe if i came and spoke scottish this morning you would not be impressed you would not be in awe (laughs) but it's 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 a moment of edifying it's building up it's saying look at what i can do it's not building others it's self-promotion and adding to one's ego. It's speaking that I'm in it for myself. 
look at me. God doesn't like that. That is not of the Spirit of God. That is contrary to what God desires. But, the Bible says, he that prophesieth, again, see the main context, but again, if we're going to take application here, in practicality, preaching edifieth the church. Preaching builds the church. It helps the whole church when everyone can understand the communication. And that is so important, that that is a vital heart that everyone understands what is being stated. In verse number 5, the Bible says, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesy. For For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret." that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Paul said it would be wonderful if all of you could speak different languages. Paul said, I would love for all of you to be able to communicate in different languages. We've had people come uh, uh, here that speak Romanian, that speak Polish. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could know all these different languages that God has brought to our church on occasion? It would be a wonderful thing. And Paul says it would be wonderful. Why? Because one could then expound or communicate the message of God. What is the message of God? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sins. He was buried and He rose again the third day for our uh, for our justification. And if we simply put our belief and trust in Him and trust in Christ as our only way to heaven, you can know that you have that relationship with the Father. You can know that you have a hell in heaven because Jesus Christ is your Savior. That is the message that Paul said, I want you to communicate through the speaking of tongues, through the speaking of languages. I want you to be able to communicate to others, to every language that comes. He said, I would love for all of you to be able to speak the gospel in every language that you hear, that you understand. Uh, that you come across it would be wonderful to do so it would have been wonderful if jared would have been able to speak spanish it would have been wonderful he'd been able to communicate the scripture uh, and to speak the truth of the word of god it would have been wonderful if he would have been able to do that and that's what paul is saying it would be wonderful it would be good to do so so you can communicate the truth of the gospel of jesus christ you see the one that preaches the god's word is more effective than those who speak in tongues that is not imparting the truth of Jesus Christ. He says, if all you're doing is just simply speaking tongues to speak tongues and no one understands it, all you're doing is speaking a language, all you're doing is speaking it just to show that you can speak it, it's not helping, it's not building, except if you're interpreting. Paul gives an exception here. He says, if you know a tongue, and someone from English is trying to communicate to someone who does speak Japanese, and you're able to be that interpreter to speak in that language, he says that's a proper thing, that's a good thing, because you're taking one language and interpreting it so that another person can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the organization that Paul is bringing to this church here in 1 Corinthians. Paul 
says, if I came to you speaking a language that no one understand, understood, how would that help you? It wouldn't help you. It wouldn't help you if I, didn't, if I came speaking a language that you never heard or did not know. And Paul truly spoke many languages, and we'll see that later in just a few verses. But he said, I speak the truth. I speak in a tongue, in a language in which you can understand. Why? For revelation. What does that word revelation mean? It means truth that may be unveiled. He says, I want to speak in knowledge. What does that mean? It means truth that might be understood. He says, I want to prophesy. What does that mean? Truth that might be unfolded. And he says, I want to speak in doctrine. What is that? That is truth that might be underlined. It's putting emphasis on the doctrine that God gives through his word. And he says, these things help the church. These things build the church. And oh, how important it is that we understand to build and to strengthen God's people and the local family. Secondly, this morning, speak on this second point of illustrating fetal communication. Paul now transitions to some illustration. We're going to go through this quickly here. It's very self-explanatory, but I want to put this together here for us. In 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse number 7 with me. And even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? Music is important, and music is and proper music is beautiful in our ears. I want to put my wife on a spot here for just a moment. Holly, would you play a few chords just beautifully put together for illustration here this morning? No pressure. No mistakes here. <laughs> but I want you to listen to this. That makes sense, doesn't it? We understand that. Now, here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying when we speak languages and talk in a language that no one understands, it is like listening to chaotic music. Holly, I'm going to ask you to do everything in your power to do something in which you cannot or probably trying to wrap your mind around right now. You know where I'm going with this. Would you play a very chaotic few or a few chords or a few notes like it can't be a chord because it's chaotic but we just play something that doesn't make any sense <laughs> she can't do it real well can she uh she, she she's done it so much but you get the picture don't you it doesn't make as much sense as the first one does. Uh, maybe I should go over and play. Maybe that's what it should be. And, uh, or I should start singing. That's what I should do, isn't it? Everyone's going, no, 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 please no. <laughs> it, but it doesn't make sense. If notes are just jumbled together and everything is disjointed, it doesn't make sense. And that's what... Paul is speaking of here when it comes to proper music there are rules for 
notes and chords going together in a certain order in a different in a, in a certain way what to make a melody that speaks to our heart that speaks to us and helps us to see very organized in a proper way proper music and paul is saying if all these instruments begin playing different volumes and different notes i mean it's like a trumpet that's meant to be uh, a, a dominant part of a uh, of an orchestra suddenly playing really soft and suddenly uh, a bell or something that's supposed to be played suddenly start jingling and jangling all over uh, and being disjointed he's saying it's like music that is just chaotic and not put together he says it just you look at it and you say what's going on this is great and it's like uh, fingernails running on chalkboard so it doesn't make sense and he says that's what it is like when languages are being uh, uh, chaotically employed in the church people getting up and just speaking in a language that not everyone understands or speaking in a language that just a few people understand and there's no interpretation and it's just a chaotic point in which no one understands what's going on it's like taking fingernails and scratching it on the chalkboard it is confusing and it brings chaos and clamoring it doesn't draw people to the gospel it says what's going on there look at verse number eight for if the trumpet give an uncertain sound who shall prepare himself to the battle understand that in this time and age that the trumpet was an important part to wars there would be certain sounds that would be played if they were to attack or if they were to go forward in battle. There would be certain trumpet sounds that the men would be trained to for a fall back or a retreat. And they would listen to these different trumpet sounds to organize the advancing or the retreating or even the organization uh, certain sounds indicating that the left side or the left side might need some help or the right side might need some help and to pull soldiers from one area and into others so that that way the battle could be won the trumpet wasn't a very important part and he says what if suddenly this trumpet as it's as these people or these men are going into war starts playing sounds that no one's familiar with no one understands he said it would cause chaos the war would not be won effectively and and it would probably would end in complete and utter failure why because the trumpet was playing uncertain sounds and churches that lead in this type of thinking of languages spoken whether it's a verbal language or whether unfortunately today people even make up languages and just utter sounds saying this is something that god has given me god says that brings chaos it's like a trumpet that is playing uncertain sounds as men go to war people are not drawn to the gospel but put off of the gospel one of the things as i witness to others and tell others the gospel of christ who have been to church even on an occasional basis and even some who have never been to church but have been familiarized with this type of chaotic functioning in the church of a church promoting a gift that god says was going to cease of speaking in tongues uh speaking in language that no one understands 
often, often, often I have to reassure them that we, are, we do not do that. That's not what the Bible teaches. Why? Because they're put off of the gospel. And let me ask you something. If this is something that was of God, why would it put people off of the gospel? The Bible draws people to the gospel. Chaos and confusion, unscripturally practiced, pushes people away. And we don't want that. We want to draw people to the gospel. We want to encourage people to go forward in the truth of scripture. Look at verse number 9, please. So likewise, except ye utter by tongue words easy to be understood how shall it be known what is spoken for ye shall speak into the air there are it may be so so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification therefore if i know not the meaning of the voice i shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me what is Paul speaking of here? He's speaking of someone who comes speaking a language that no one knows. Paul says it's just those voices, that communication that's going forward is like just words floating in the air. They have no meaning to anyone around because there's no one to receive those. They're just floating through the air and no one can recognize what is being stated. Paul acknowledged that there are many, many languages. And he doesn't discount that each of them are significant. There are thousands upon thousands of languages today. I did a little bit of research to try to get an exact number, but there's so many different conflicting resources out there today. But I've heard anywhere from over 5,500 to up to about 8,000 different languages. And we're still learning more dialects, especially in some of the remote tribes and jungles of Africa or in Amazon and other areas of the world that we're still learning of today. Many different languages, and those, Paul says, are significant. Paul's not discounting that those are important languages. He says, but if you're to speak that remote tribal language amongst an English-speaking church, it's like words floating through the air. It doesn't have any impact. It is not edifying. It is significant if you were to take that language and speak it into that tribe. It is significant. It is powerful. He says, but one that speaks that language is like a barbarian. That word barbarian just simply means foreigner. And the Greeks were very, very proud of their heritage and of their culture. And they were very put off by those who would come not wanting and willing to learn their own language. And Paul says it would be like someone coming and being a foreigner and not willing to speak the language in which you're speaking, mainly there in Corinth, which would be Greek. He says you want people to come to speak your language and to learn your language. And he says if they don't, he says they would be a foreigner. They would not be adapting to the culture that is there, and it would put you off. Same truth applies today. Look at verse number 12, please. Even so, ye all, even so, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. 
Paul acknowledges once again, he says, it's good to want spiritual gifts. There's nothing wrong with desiring, saying, God, would you please help me to have this talent? God, would you instill this talent if it be your will? What's what you want? Would you help me to learn and to desire? It's nothing wrong with desiring those things. He says, it is a good thing. He says, but it ought to be accompanied with the desire to edify the church and to get the gospel to others. It ought not to be a thing in which we ever use for self-promotion. Say, oh, wow, look at the gift that I have. God says it is to be a tool to help us to be more effective in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we saw in chapter 12. It is important that we understand that the purpose of gifts is to get the gospel to people, and the spiritual gift is a talent, is an ability that God gives to help people to communicate effectively the gospel and to further the gospel ministry. It is so important that we understand the proper place of the talent. The talent is never to be exposed, but rather it's supposed to be something, a tool that others will become aware of and become easily recognizable of, yes, but again, it's a tool that others use to get the guard that we use to get the gospel to more and more people. Paul says, if there is one that comes and speaks in an unknown tongue, if there is someone that comes and begins to speak a Japanese, he says, here's what you do. He says, pray. Now, he doesn't mean begin to pray as far as, oh, God, would you please allow him to be able to speak? That's not what he's asking. He says, pray, which literally means just to request. He says, request to that man that he may interpret. In essence, we've had missionaries here from different foreign countries. Italy, Romania, other parts of the world. And there are times where we have them say what? Would you, would you quote John 3.16? And they'll say it in Romanian or Italian. And then what do they do? We say, now would you give it to us in English? And they would say, for God so loved the world. And they would continue quoting John 3.16. Why? Because they state it, and it is neat to hear another language. I like hearing other languages. There's something about hearing another language that is exciting and it gives us, arouses our curiosity. But again, without an interpretation, it doesn't help us. And so if there is one that is going to speak in another language, like one of our missionaries have, or our missionaries have, then pray, request that he interprets, request that he gives us what we can communicate him and how we can be edified. Does that make sense here this morning? So God gives, uh, Paul gives, first of all, the importance of communication and how we can illustrate that communication and effectively do so. So thirdly this morning, and lastly, aren't you impressed? We're already through 13 verses this morning and seven left to go. Choosing to communicate well. Look at verse number 14 with me, if you would, please. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul def, uh, definitively had the gift to speak different languages. And he says, if I came to you and I began to speak in a language in which you did not understand, and the Holy, uh, uh, he says, he says the, uh, 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 excuse me, if I speak the one, one in one language, you did not know or even understand it. He said, it's unfruitful. It's not beneficial. It's not helping anyone. He says, I don't want that type of communication. I am going to choose to communicate differently. I'm not going to come and speak in a language in which you don't understand. I'm going to come 
intent to speak the language that is going to be fruitful for your understanding. Look at verse number 15 now. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Paul decided that he would rather effectively communicate wherever he went, even in prayer and in song. Paul said, when I come and I pray, he said, I'm not going to pray in a language in which you don't understand. He said, I'm going to pray in English. I'm going to pray in your language that you know. He says, so that you can be helped and so that you can have the understanding there as well. He says, when I sing, he says, I'm going to sing in your language. He says, I'm not going to sing a dialect in which you don't know. He says, I'm going, I am choosing to sing to help the church wherever God has led me to be a benefit and a help to those people. He says, I'm willing to put aside my knowledge of languages to meet with your understanding in your local dialect. That was Paul's choice. He chose to communicate well. Look at verse number 16, please. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that, accom- uh, that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at the giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. Paul said, I would rather sing, I would rather pray, I would rather preach um, in a way that is recognizable that people can respond. The Bible says here, and notice this, this is, this is interesting, that there was a practice in this church, in the first church, first century churches, that when singing and prayer and preaching was going on, that people would what? Say, amen. What does that mean? I agree. That's what the word amen means. It literally means I agree. So when God was speaking through song, through prayer, through scripture and preaching, the first century Christians would do what? They would say, amen. I agree. That's exactly what they would say. You say, why do some churches do that? And I'm thankful that our church does. I speak in some churches where it is like a stone-cold audience. Uh, and afterwards, I, after, after I get done, I'm thinking, was I even speaking English? <laughs> Did anyone understand? There's no response. It's just a very stoic looking directly at me with no emotion. Paul said that's not how the church in the first century reacted. They would be vocal in their expression of, I agree with what Scripture says. And that's an important thing. You know, that encourages the heart of those singing when we respond and say, hey, that was good. That encourages, that edifies, that builds up, that exhorts, that comforts. That's a good thing. When someone prays and we say, amen, what does that do? That does likewise. It builds up. It edifies one another. It comforts and helps one another. Because let's face it, all of us are uncomfortable at some area in ministry. 
I'm doing something right now that I am not comfortable with. You say, Pastor, you've done it for many years. You're right. But I'm still not fully comfortable with it. I feel very comfortable here in this pulpit. But there are times where I'm speaking and I'm thinking, God, I feel like I just need to go hide in a corner somewhere. And those moments when we recognize that the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts, we say, you know what? I haven't seen it like that, but I agree with what God's Word says. Amen. Or amen, however you want to say it. It doesn't matter to me. I know it's the same word. However you choose to say it, it resonates and encourages those that are giving forth the truth of Scripture, whether it's in song, prayer, or preaching the Word of God. And that's an important thing. Encourage one another. And all it takes is just a simple word of amen. I agree. It's a wonderful help. It's encouraging. Paul started, Paul used the illustration that, look, if I was sitting in the audience and I heard a a scripture, and as I was sitting hearing scripture and I wanted to say I agree, but I began to speak it among an English church in Japanese, would it help you? (laughs) You would look and say, what? (laughs) What was that? Years ago, back in seminary, there was a deaf man um, who was very excitable in the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. He loved to be actionate, but he was deaf, so he didn't know what sound was coming out of his mouth. And I'm not going to try to fully imitate, but it was kind of like a, oh, you know, type, type of a sound. And after a couple of weeks, I remember... Uh, the president of the seminary looking at this man and saying, that's right, amen. What was he doing? He was letting everyone know that he understood that this man was deaf, he wanted to say amen, and he was letting everyone know what this man was doing. Why? Because there would be some that would be like, what is he doing? Not knowing he was deaf, not knowing that he couldn't fully enunciate amen, he was doing it the best he knew how to do, being able to hear his own voice but yet he wanted to be vocal and god says when there's times when someone wants to agree publicly in scripture he says it's okay to interpret in that way it's okay to say here's what they're saying they may not know the english word amen they know enough english to put it together they're learning but until they learn amen and the foolish you know, the full uh, fully english way it's okay to say uh, it, it, that uh, express or interpret in that way uh, but he also says, if you know that language, if you know that expression, and there's multitudes of expressions, you know, we say amen, but there are different cultures that say different things that mean the same thing. Uh, remember that we are taking the word of God and it's interpreted into our language, English. However, when you translate this uh, from the Textus Receptus into other languages, the word amen is going to be different. And he says, so if, you don't, uh, so if you know the different words, say it so it's fruitful and beneficial to that language to those people. Does that make sense here this morning? Paul said, I want to communicate well. He said, I want to encourage people well. He says, I want to do so in a way in which we communicate well in worship. And that's so very important. Look at verse number 18. It's just turned 12, and I'm on verse number 18. I just, 
I'm proud of myself this morning. <laughs> Look at verse number 18. I thank my God. I speak with tongues more than ye all. Paul was not saying this out of pride. He was trying to teach the church a lesson here. He's saying you pride yourself in being able to speak multiple languages. He says none of you can hold a candle to me. I can speak more languages than any of you. It wasn't a statement of pride. It was a statement of fact. To drive home a point. What is his point? Yet, in the church, I had rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also. What is Paul saying? Paul saying, I would rather take five words in a language in which you know and speak that into the church than what? Than 10,000 in an unknown tongue. He says, look, I would rather benefit you with five words that help you to understand Scripture in your own language than 10,000 words in a language in which no one understood. Why? Because he wanted to communicate well. He wanted to relay the truth of Scripture, and he could not relay it if it was not in their own language. And so when Paul was in Corinth, what language did he use? Greek. When he was in Jerusalem, there was certainly some Aramaic there was certainly some Greek and Hebrew mixed in there. Why? Because he was communicating in a language wherever he was to communicate well in that environment. Paul saw the desire and need not to just speak a language to show that I can do it, but rather to communicate well to help others understand the gospel. Notice how he ends here. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice, be ye children. But in understanding, be men. What is he saying? Paul here is saying, as I'm teaching this, would you understand this like an adult? Would you understand this like a man and not a child? He says, would you not get offended at my words? He says, I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to bring order to the church. I'm trying to teach. I'm trying to help you so you don't put people off the gospel. He says, would you please receive this like spiritual mature adults? Receive this with some spiritual maturity. Again, Paul is trying to encourage this church to what grow. He is edifying them. He said, would you please receive this well? And notice what he puts right in the middle there. Howbeit, in malice be ye children. That word malice there is the Greek word kakeia, which means depravity wickedness, vicious disposition, and to desire to pervert truth and moral principles. 
he's saying when it comes to taking truth and twisting it out of context, taking what is being stated and applying a situation in which we do not fully understand and twisting it into something that is going to hurt or discourage people from going forward and edifying the church, he says, be ye children. What is he speaking of? He says, I want you to have innocency innocency in that area. He says, I want you not to be able to even know how to do that. He says, when it comes to a time in which our heart wants to lash out, he says, I want you to be a child and not even being able to do so because I want you to understand and to go forward with the gospel and not to become divisive or something in which God is against. He says, be ye children in malice. We are very much living in a culture today that is full of media malice. Very much so. And by the way, I stand with Israel. And this media that is taking the lies of Israel defending itself and using Hamas and their militant, violent, wicked attacks against innocent people and perverting it to where Israel is the attacker and Palestine or the innocent is an abomination to God. It is wicked. It is vile before God. And the media is teaching you, it's teaching us how to do that. It's teaching you how to take the truth and pervert it. And we live in a culture today that is very much taking this thing and applying it to every situation. And we truly are acting on half-truths and we are acting in partial information and we do so as if we are fully God and fully adapt to everything in which God knows. God help us on that. As children of God, we ought to be children of mouse. We, not, we shouldn't even look at this and say, I wouldn't know how to misconstrue this truth. It wouldn't even compute in my mind. I wouldn't even begin to frame the framework of it because according to what Scripture teaches, I'm going to edify and build. I'm not going to tear down and discourage. That's what the Bible teaches about communication. And Paul says, I want you to understand what the truth that I have given is. So when you respond to it, you respond to it like a spiritual and adult instead of like a child in malice. Some hard words there. But yet some truth in which we need to understand today. Because we can easily, easily fall prey to the sinful attacking that the media is approaching and, and, and infiltrating our minds and hearts on. We need to take a stand. Paul encouraged and exhorted this church much. He wanted a large portion. He wrote, uh, as God used Paul to write a large portion of this, of this letter to the Corinthians so they would effectively communicate truth and worship. He, spe- he spends many, many what we call chapters or a large portion of this letter to communicate and how important it is to communicate in worship. Because God desires for us to edify, exhort, and to comfort one another through, understand, through understood language and vocabulary. This is important to God. And Scummersdale Baptist Church needs to follow 
this wise, practical, and profitable instruction. We need to encourage someone and edify one another in truth. How important it is that we use so to profit and to encourage one another. It's important. Years ago, my family and I were in a missions conference, and a well-meaning person came up to me and gave me 500 pesos from the Philippines. He said, I want you to use this. Now, I'm in America at the time. I'm going to England. I have never been to Philippines. <laughs> I can't just take those pesos and take it to the local bank and even put it into the bank because they don't take it. And I thought, how does this profit me? <laughs> what is this going to do? But I graciously received it and said, thank you, I appreciate that. And 500 pesos is about worth 10 U.S. dollars, so about 8 pounds or so here, maybe 7. Well, as the exchange rate continues to go, up, oh, maybe 5 right now, <laughs> I don't know. And so I thought, okay, well, let's thank you. I appreciate that. And I put it in my pocket, not understanding. And it wasn't fruitful. It wasn't beneficial. I tithed on it because that was scriptural. But then as soon as we entered into another missions conference where there was a missionary to the Philippines, I reached, I reached in my pocket and pulled out my wallet and gave them that 500 pesos and said, someone gave this to me a while back ago. Here, you can have it. This is going to help you. It's not going to help me. And that's what God is trying to teach us, that as we communicate, it should profit, it should edify one another. It should be in a language in which helps encourage and exhort the brethren and not bring confusion or misunderstanding. That's vital. That's important. Paul's heart was to preach the word. But his heart, as God used him to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, was to preach it with understanding. Preach it that in a way that would profit, that would help one another. How important it is that there's communication in worship. Would we learn this morning to communicate well? I know we all speak English here. I understand that. But I believe there's some applications that we can take from what Paul speaks of and put it into the storage bank because you don't know what God's going to do. God might bring some Romanian families here. God might set up an opportunity to translate and to show you how to do it with scriptural order, scriptural properly. I don't know. don't know what God's going to do. But I do know that God does want order in the church. And this helps us communicate the gospel effectively. Let's learn from it. Let's grow with it. And watch God teach us. Father, 